Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, great to be with you as always. We have got plenty to get into, certainly big college football news today with the announcement that came earlier from the Big Ten. It is fraught with issues, but I suppose movement in the positive or in the right direction for uh, for the Big Ten as at least they have a path to return to football. I'm not sure that they've got a path that um, is uh, navigable for playing week in, week out, but they do have a path to return. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. At Ceasefire, they're always asking the big questions like, why wait for the next device to get the device you want? Right now, you can get any iPhone for $100 off at your Ceasefire store and online at Ceasefire.com. Happy Wednesday, guys. Middle of the week on the downhill side, headed toward the weekend. And then next week, we will be in game week mode. Michael Borky, what's up? Oh, not a whole lot. Just, uh, I know my friend over here, Brian Haydad, is probably pretty thrilled with uh, a basketball result from last night, but that's not the center <laughs> of our focus today. No, not really the center of the focus. Clippers no, uh, no. go down as, um, what, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were a combined 0 for 11 shooting the basketball in the fourth quarter of a Game 7 to try and get to the Western Conference Finals. You ready for a dad joke? Not the best effort. Yes, I'm ready. Playoff P, more like playoff P-U, because Paul George stinks. It's good. Uh, dad joke indeed. Dad <laughs> he joke. does stink, though. I mean, this playoff P concept with Paul George, uh, he disappears in fourth quarters of meaningless games, and look at what the Clippers <laughs> gave up to get him. Yikes. Doc Rivers has now overseen three blown series leads in which his teams were up three games to one and lost in seven games. It doesn't happen very often. Like If you look at the all-time numbers, the percentages are very, very low. You're down 3-1. You're not winning the series, but you like your chances better if Doc Rivers is the head coach on the other side. Maybe that's just coincidence. I I don't know. A heck of a comeback, though for Denver in the series to uh, get the win and advance to face the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Hey, Dad, what's up? It's a dark day. That's what I was, I've was. i read on Twitter anyway. The darkest of days in the history of the Big Ten Conference. I just hope that people can, can survive. So it was Christine Brennan at USA Today that said, uh, how will the Big Ten survive its darkest days? Michael Borky, you pointed out that in some of the responses to that tweet, uh, there were people that said the conference that endured the pedophile scandal at Penn State with Jerry Sandusky and the doctor molesting student athletes, uh, Nasser, I believe was his name, at uh, Michigan State. Almost 200 of them in his case. Returning to play football 
in 2020 is the darkest day for the Big Ten. Yeah. You hate to see it. And, you know, Christine Brennan is a good writer. And that's something I've been I've been just perplexed by throughout this whole thing. Is I, mean, I know you guys don't like Dan Walken. That's fine. You don't have to like the guy. But he's obviously a pretty smart guy. He got to that place not by being an idiot, I don't think. So it's it's really something to see all these people I know are smart come up with these incredibly horrible and misinformed and over but, the but hey dad opinions. you're the one that's misinformed no no you're you're wrong oh, oh, well I, I guess you're, you're, right. you're wrong hey dad yeah, and right. if you're not smart enough to know that then you know sorry and seeing people there's nothing today, I can really do for you go from you know five days ago there's no chance this is people who are being irresponsible too I'm excited about what the Big Ten has to do I'm like, yeah talk what Talk about a, a turn of face there. I figured out the Brennan thing, though, um, because I, I had the same reaction. As, I mean, this is somebody who did really good work when it came to Title IX and, and the coverage of the Michigan State abuse scandal. And I thought, how can somebody that covered that well have this opinion and think this? And then I made the mistake of clicking and reading. Oh, don't read that. I didn't even read it. I, I did. And there was a name that popped up in there that made it all make sense. There's a line that said that President Trump is getting to take a victory lap. There it is. That's, you don't have to read much. I mean, you, you don't even have to read the story to know that it's agenda-driven. Yep. But And people like Christine Brennan and Dan Wolken and Pat Forty believe that they are doing their part to try to rid the scourge on the United States that is the current president. That's what they believe. Yeah. With, like, every fiber of their being. And returning to work, better economic numbers, lower unemployment rates, a healthy economy, people doing normal things is not necessarily good for the election chances of Joe Biden, and therefore people like that think that it is their duty to serve not the readers, but to serve the country as a whole. They are they are doing the Lord's work in their mind. It's I mean it's purely political agenda driven. Yeah. And and how they feel politically shapes everything they write, whether they're covering sports or, I don't know, food. You're going to make it about, uh, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't really matter what the story is. If it's a story that is anything potentially positive for the right, there's going to be a spin or an angle on it. It's just how it is. Without a doubt. And if you're smart enough to, to read with your eyes wide open, then you recognize that, and you take it for what it is, you parse through it, and you move on. You don't need people like Christine Brennan and Dan Wolken and Pat Forty and Stuart Mandel to have tell you how to think. You have a, a brain yourself. You can think for yourself. I mean, if you want to read what they write, go for it. Most of us do. I mean, I generally read what Dan Wolken writes. I sometimes read what Pat Forty writes. I occasionally read what Christine Brennan writes. But I know what I'm getting into when I read it. So I parse through and I find the th- parts of it that are interesting. I roll my eyes at the parts that are agenda-driven and go on from there. 
If that's not the way that you're consuming news, and I, I look, I, I'm talking about the left. However, however, the same thing applies to the right. I mean, if you're reading something that is written or published or produced by a far-right entity, you're getting the same thing just from the opposite perspective. And you, I mean, everything you consume, and this is what we were talking about a few weeks ago, right? If there was actually a news entity that it was, you know, just the facts, nothing but the facts, not my opinion inserted, it would be great. But that doesn't really exist, and therefore you've got to you got to have some some reasoning skills. You've got to understand what it is you're reading, where it's coming from, and be able to parse through the, the stuff that makes sense and the stuff that is nothing but drivel. And if you do that, you're probably going to end up as a better informed citizen, period. Yeah. Here's another one also running in the same publication. So presumably both of these columns that we referenced are going to be in newspapers nationwide tomorrow morning. Uh, column, Big Ten got played by President Trump and the White House is eager to celebrate, written by Mr. Walken. That's Say that one more time. Say it one more time. Big Ten got played by President Trump and White House is eager to celebrate. <laughs> That said, though, based on the White House statement from today, we have to completely change the focus of everything we're doing because Mississippi is now, both schools are now in the Big Ten, evidently. Yeah, the, the poor press secretary so, opponent gave previews. Mississippi to the Big Ten. We got we to gotta, we gotta get some Ohio State and Michigan <laughs> folks on the phone and talk to them. I don't know anything about those teams. But I've been looking at is. Alabama and all, and, and all that all this time. Today, just to, to your point, today just opened the door wide open. It, it, it's transparent now. Even though, by and large, this decision didn't come because of uh, the president's phone call and the arrangement from Clay Travis, that's probably not why this <laughs> happened. However, it was a contributing factor. There was something that came from that, no matter how big or small. Either way, the fact that the Big Ten is getting to play football, which provides opportunities for student-athletes across the league, football players and non-revenue sports that are going to get saved by football playing. We can't celebrate that because, oh my goodness, Trump gets to tweet a few things about himself. And we can't have one little victory for the President of the United States. Therefore, we have to spin this as some kind of negative because they're playing football and that's what he wanted. Yeah, It's all transparent now. But, but but again, if we're being honest about everything, sure there was a political angle to Trump going after the Big Ten. It was incredibly savvy. And it worked. It worked. Sports Talk Mississippi. So we'll get into what the Big Ten said today, what their plan is, what the issues are, how it makes sense, how it doesn't make sense. That's all coming up with you. All right, so the nuts and bolts of the Big Ten decision are this. They will kick off their season the weekend of October 24th after the league presidents and chancellors unanimously voted to resume competition earlier today, citing daily testing capabilities and a stronger confidence in the latest medical information. The conference uh, announced this morning. I wonder if the plan was to announce it yesterday, but then in a move of spite, they chose to wait because... It got released by the Nebraska president yesterday. Old President Hot Mike got him? Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a 100% certainty. Feel, Each feel, team feel, will feel attempt, 
to play eight games in eight weeks, leaving no wiggle room during the coronavirus pandemic before the Big Ten championship game on the 19th of December. Player safety. That same date will also feature an extra cross-division game for each school with seeded teams in each division squaring off. All right, help me understand that. So the two teams that are playing in the championship game will play on December 19th, and the other 12 teams will participate in six games seeded somehow. Yes. Correct? So the two last-place teams will play each other and so on. You'll play your opposite number from the other division. Okay. So if Michigan finishes second in their division, and I don't know the division, Minnesota in the other, you'll have Michigan versus Minnesota that day. You could theoretically have a rematch, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. From the regular season. For sure. sure. I imagine you will. Having to watch, uh, who would it be, Illinois and Rutgers play on the last game of the year should be like a prison sentence. You know, instead of... Hey, you got to do two weeks in the slammer for your second DUI. <laughs> Sit down and watch that game for three hours uninterrupted. And you have to write a report on it after yeah. the game. I want to make sure you watched it. Uh, the Big Ten will complete its season the day before the December 20th selection day for the college football playoff. Imagine that. The timing, just amazing, right? I mean, they're they're comfortable with starting the season on a certain date and magically the season will end right before uh, Selection Sunday. That's amazing. I r- r- can't believe it worked out like that. Sandy Barber is the athletic director at Penn State. She said the Big Ten has agreed to have no fans attending games this season, which will be held on campus throughout the year. The league is working on a plan to allow families and staff to attend home and away games. Barry Alvarez, the athletics director at Wisconsin, said the schedule will be released later this week. Said the two division crossover games for each team must still be determined. You may remember that on August 11th, the Big Ten initially postponed its fall sports seasons, including football. I, 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 I postponed. Don't 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 give them that credit. They canceled. Okay. Four weeks ago to the day, Kevin Warren said they will not be revisiting playing football this fall. Four weeks to the day. Upon further review. (laughs) Look, if you go to Uh, VAR. 11 to 3 was the vote by the presidents and chancellors initially to postpone, with only Nebraska, Ohio State, and Iowa choosing to proceed. League bylaws require at least 60% of the presidents and chancellors to approve a return of the fall season. And so the medical information was so overwhelming that those 11 who initially said absolutely not became part of the unanimous 14. Following its postponement, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, formed a return to competition task force. And that's the group that this past weekend was presented a bunch of information by medical professionals. They reviewed daily antigen uh, antigen testing, enhanced cardiac screening, and data driven uh, a data driven approach to making decisions about practices and competitions. They will begin daily testing in the Big Ten starting on September 30th on all 14 campuses. Test results must be completed and recorded prior to each practice or game. 
Student-athletes who test positive for coronavirus through point-of-contact daily testing, that's the rapid test, would then require a PCR test, that's the one that takes a little bit longer, to confirm the results. Each Big Ten team will designate a chief infection officer to report data about testing to the league. Football players who test positive must wait 21 days to return to competition. They are more than doubling, more than doubling the time that the CDC says a person must quarantine after testing positive for COVID. What does the Center for Disease Control know about a disease? Maybe if they had the Center for Virus Control instead of the Disease Control, they would have <laughs> had a different outcome. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that... It, they're, everybody's patting the Big Ten on the back, and they're patting themselves on the back for these strict protocols. But where ever, from the very beginning, think back to March, when the first case came to the United States, has at, at any point, has anybody said that a positive test has to quarantine for 21 days? Has that been ever recommended by anybody until the Big Ten decided to do it today? Hmm. I mean, good luck having a season like this, too, by the way. Good luck completing your eight games in eight weeks. Good luck. So 21 days out if you test positive for COVID. There is a color-coded system, green, orange, and red, for both team positivity rates and population positivity rates. And you have to be within certain thresholds on both sides to be able to continue to practice and play games. If a team's positivity rate exceeds 5%, which basically is five players, maybe six, if you're taking in full roster sizes. If the team's positivity rate exceeds 5% or the population's positivity rate Seven and a half percent. Practice and competition must be paused for seven days at minimum. If the positivity rate is between two and five percent, or the population's positivity rate is between three and a half and seven seven and a half percent, they must proceed with caution and enhanced COVID nineteen prevention measures. Okay, then. This all, all could have been done. And they start the season a month earlier. That's the the rapid test thing that, that I keep seeing people talk about. Well, this was the difference. This is why they're able to start in October. We talked about this a few weeks ago. SMU the rapid and, tests have been available. For a long time. SMU and Texas State had rapid tests. It's almost like they're lying to us. Yes. I don't know. I mean, that's I, the I don't thing. Know. It's like, don't you understand? I mean, Richard, didn't you take a rapid response test, or am I dreaming that? No, I did. Back in um, oh, the third week of August, I believe it was. And you got results, what, in a few 15 minutes? 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, just now, it's available somehow to very wealthy public universities. I, that's the kind – I mean, they're just lying. College football programs – of a division without any money, had access to rapid response testing two weeks ago before they played their game. Two weeks ago. 
The NBA has had it for a while. A little bit different, Months. but still, they have had it for a while. NBA and NFL and Major League Baseball have all had it for months now. But magically, and, and, suddenly, today, it has become available, and now that's why we can play? And, and let's not forget that the big thing they threw at us, the, the myocarditis, that hasn't gone away. It's still an issue for people. They didn't cure it. So, yes, yeah. Michael's correct. If you, We're just if being you lied test to. positive... Just, just tell us that you're playing because you don't want to lose millions of dollars. I'll, I'll accept that. I'm the king of, hey, we got new information. Let's change the decision. Let's change what we're saying. But at least be honest about it. Yeah. The science is different. Medical opinions have evolved. We've got so much more in the way of testing capability than we had on August the 11th when we decided to bang, decided to bang this whole thing. Mm, not like really. Said, the, 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 the FOIs for text between the Big Ten and some various sports writers will be very interesting to see how it was. Hey, we're going to cancel. Everybody else says you might as well just go ahead and start writing. Because those, te- those texts and those emails exist. It's just going to be a matter of finding them. By the way, football players that test COVID-19, in addition to waiting 21 days to return to competition, will undergo comprehensive cardiac testing, including EKG, echocardiogram, cardiac MRI, etc., etc., to make sure that they are clear on the myocarditis side of things as well. Concerns about myocarditis significantly contributed, allegedly, to the Big Ten's initial decision to postpone the fall football season. I think arguably what contributed more was the fact that you had a bunch of left-leaning people who favor shut it down versus get back to work in terms of making the decision to end the football season. That's a hot take. My apologies. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. lesson to be learned today about speaking in absolutes only Sith steals in absolutes so be careful you know I, I, I have kind of a uh, a maxim in life and that is never and ever are a really long time and deep thoughts by Jack Handy here but when you're like, I'm never going to do that. Eh, never's a long time. That's never going to happen again. Well, history sometimes repeats itself. I would never. Ooh, be careful casting stones if you live in a glass house. And we're a month removed from Kevin Warren not playing and it won't be revisited. That is an absolute, a never-ever statement. And just four weeks later, here we are. What do you think the tipping point was in the decision? Honestly, the Big Ten people want to tell you that the tipping point in their decision to return to play was advancement in testing and medical procedures and new information, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We outlined in pretty great detail yesterday that the initial myocarditis report was co-opted to fit a narrative that was not the intended narrative of the authors of the report. 
It was not. Quite literally the opposite. The exact turn it around, flip it, opposite. One of the co-authors of the study said, no, the point of this report was to say, yeah, we can play football. Like, the news that comes out of this is good for the return to football. Big Ten said, four out of 26 with myocarditis, shut her down. That's what the medical people are telling us. Quite the opposite. So, my question again, what was the tipping point? So, What's your guess? Although I do think... Actually, I know that the Big Ten expected everyone else to follow when they decided to cancel, and when that did not happen and they pushed on, there was a panic. I think it's quite simply they looked at their budgets and what was going to happen without football. And the athletic people went to the academic people and laid out the financial devastation that would follow, and maybe they finally got it. Because like you said, it's not the testing, it's not the science, nothing has changed. I don't think it's just because the SEC is playing and they look dumb. I think the athletic directors at the schools, not Ohio State and Nebraska, who I've gained a lot of respect for, and, and Michigan Iowa. as well, and Iowa, love them now. I want them to win every game because they were on it from the jump. But these ADs that have presidents that weren't on board took the budget to them and said, if we don't play football, This person, this person, this person, this person loses their job. This department, gone. This sport, gone. This sport, gone. This sport, gone. And I think that's probably finally what did it. It was, they're playing and they're doing it safely down there, and by the way, we stand to lose $100 million if we don't. And that finally got through to the academic people. That is my hypothesis. I think it's more of what you said first, to be honest with you. I think they thought, they. I think it goes back to they, they made their, their statement and they thought, we're the Big Ten, everybody will get in line with us. And then the SEC, ACC, Big 12 did not. And they realized they were going to have to answer questions about how can Iowa State play football, but Iowa cannot. How can the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns play football and all the high schools play, play football and the University of Cincinnati can play football, but Ohio State cannot. How is that possible? And they realized that they were going to have to answer those questions, and they didn't want to answer them. They just did not, because they didn't have an answer. Their answer was, we just didn't want to do it because of whatever reason. So, I think it's that. Now, the money didn't hurt. They certainly don't want to lose money, and they were going to have to make incredible cuts across the board. But honestly, I think this thing has been ego-driven from day one. I think there was a point somewhere in this where they also realized the idea of a spring season was such a fallacy that, Yes. You can't talk about player safety and then tell them you want to play 18 to 20 games in a calendar year. That and COVID's you, not You cannot going do that. And then you, on top of that, you see all these guys who are opting out who some of them may try to opt back in, and Tom Mars is back in the mix now because Kevin Warren said so unequivocally, we're not going to revisit this, that guys decided to opt out, and they may have taken stuff from agents thinking, well, he said they're not coming back. And now they're going to have to figure out, can those guys? What a mess. Kevin Warren, not long for that job. Can't be. And then you have the, well, what's the Pac-12 going to do? Well, the you, governor of California today is saying, oh, we, we didn't say y'all couldn't play. Yeah, that is uh, that is true. 
You had a letter from Southern Cal football players yesterday delivered to the governor that basically said, please let us play. Used a lot more words than that, but the, the, the summary was, please let us play. Kyle Bonagura at ESPN writes, in the wake of the news that the Big Ten will begin its football season, the Pac-12 remains on standby, waiting for governmental restrictions in California and Oregon to be lifted before formalizing a return-to-play plan. This story was written at 1040 this morning. Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, said at this time, our universities in California and Oregon do not have approval from state or local public health officials to start contact practice. We're hopeful that our new daily testing capability can help satisfy public health official approvals in California and Oregon to begin contact practice and competition. That does not exactly dovetail with what Haydad mentioned just a second ago, and that is that Gavin Newsom says, yeah, we don't really have any questions. There's a long quote from Gavin Newsom. And probably leave some questions unanswered. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. Well, we put out guidelines a month or so ago, and we aligned them. We worked with the NCAA. We aligned them with the NCAA. There's nothing in the state guidelines that denies the Pac-12 from having conference games. There's nothing in our guidelines the state put out that denies these games from occurring. We put out very, I thought, thoughtful guidelines, and again, in partnership with the NCAA, about cohorting during workouts and practices. Now, this manifests very differently depending on the sport. Basketball cohorting of up to 12, maybe a little easier than football up to 12. But offensive teams, defensive teams are able to coordinate and practice and the like. So I want to make this crystal clear. Nothing in the state guidelines deny the ability for the Pac-12 to resume. Quite the contrary. That has been a misrepresentation of the facts. But what is accurate, and I appreciate the frame of your question, that the NCAA has made progress in the Big Ten, which will be resuming, at least based on their announcement, on October 23rd, actually the 24th. They've made a lot of progress on testing. This was one of the foundational principles that we put forward with our guidance. A lot of antigen tests. We also need some PCR tests, and we're working with not only the NCAA, but the Pac-12 in this space. I talked to Larry Scott about two hours ago, and so we're committed to working with the Pac-12 working with the NCAA to keep our kids safe, to keep our coaches safe, to keep the coaching staff and friends and family safe, and keep the larger campus community safe. What do you mean? There aren't really kids on campus. Remember, these are student-athletes. They're not isolating in a bubble as some of our NBA superstars are. They need to be integrated in one way, shape, or form with an academic paradigm by definition. It's what student-athletes are supposedly all about. That's a deeper issue for all of us, is to make sure that the academic rigor is such that we're doing justice to that paradigm and principle. But nonetheless, there's nothing in those state guidelines to deny these games from resuming. So again, look forward to working as we have been in a constructive dialogue with the Pac-12 and the NCAA on testing. Good progress in that space as it relates to cohorting. We are certainly willing to engage and have now engaged the Pac-12 in that discussion as well. That's a lot of words, a lot of big words. And forgive me for reading the entire thing, but I thought it was I thought it was important to get the entire context of the quote from Larry Scott. It's also false. Who's lying? He is. I'm sorry, not Larry Scott, Gavin Newsom. 
uh, yeah, the governor is lying. You can't practice football. You can't with 12 practice, guys. right? It's like saying, "Hey, you know, I can be a millionaire, you know, but I gotta have the money first. You don't have the, you don't have any practices. No, no. So the maximum of number of football players grouped together at once at California schools is twelve. Right? So the Pac-12 is right. They can't practice and prepare for a season. They can't. Exactly correct. Basketball can do it. Gov needs to learn a little bit more about football, I think. Soccer can't do it. find a way to pull it off. Who could? Baseball can find a way to pull it off. You're turning the cage. When you get out of the cage, go to the locker room, next guy out. Well, I mean, you could even have scrimmage games with uh, going old school ghost men. You could use ghost men for runners in scrimmages. You could use ghost defensive line, I guess, too. Mm. Sports Talk Mississippi. would be hard to go 11 on 11 and really get ready for a season. Sports Talk. Uh, we'll be right back. Let me give a little credit where it's due. We were talking yesterday about Nicole Auerbach, who I think is a good reporter and has done a lot of good work. I just get frustrated with her agenda getting tied into all of that. Again, sift through it, figure out what works. This is actually a question that I had earlier. She did some good reporting and got uh, got clarity. So when we were reading about the color code deal that's in place for the uh, for the Big Ten, right? Green, orange, red. Green lights go. Orange is caution. Red light is you got to stop. Team positivity rate numbers, if you're at 0 to 2%, you're good to practice and play. Orange, you got to put in some more precautions and be really careful. Red, you got to shut it down. But then they had population positivity rate. Green was 0 to 3.5%. Orange was 35 to 7.5%. Red was north of 7.5%. Because there was no clarity there, I assumed we were talking about either population rates of local communities or states or regions or whatever. Nicole Auerbach says, got some clarity about this. Population and population positivity rate is referring to a team's rostered players plus the group of coaches, staff, managers, trainers, etc. that are subject to the daily antigen testing. So that number can be higher without necessarily penalizing the entire team. That makes sense. But I was convinced that they were looking at local positivity rates within those college towns as the determining factor as well. That makes a heck of a lot more sense, especially when you're not going to allow fans at games anyway. So good Did job. we mention that? Did we nice mention job reporting. No, did we mention there were no, no, uh, no fans allowed? Just kind so. of in passing. Okay. But yeah, when I was kind of going through the restrictions, the uh, no fans in the stadiums. And the big house is going to look big empty. That's going to be a, a sight to see, yeah. I, I assume they're not going to have bands in there? Doesn't sound I, like it. There's no reason to make that assumption other than... I mean, they haven't yet determined if they're going to let players' families in, so... Yeah. Are there any Big Ten campuses that actually have students on campus? I guess Nebraska does. Uh, yeah, I, I, probably so. 
We know that there are some that don't have students on campus. Overall, good day for the Big Ten or bad day for the Big Ten? I mean, ultimately, they're playing football. It's good a good for some, day. bad for others. They took a bad route to get there, though. Yeah, but we can overlook that sometimes, right? We go, okay, there's a whole lot that didn't make sense, but ultimately they're playing. Shouldn't we give some credit there? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm always, if once you realize you've made a mistake, if you correct that mistake, kudos to you. But at the same time, okay. don't lie to me about why you corrected the mistake. Even though they're still lying about it. And it's good for college football. I know people around here, they, they love the SEC, and as they should, I do too. But it's good for college football that Ohio State is going to play on Saturdays this fall. It's good for college football. The, the Big Ten adds to the experience. Not all the Big Ten, of course. Uh, but still, it does. And it's good for the kids because at least through this roundabout way when they were dragged around and they were practicing, but the season was getting canceled and all this stuff that they've endured, they get to play ball. And that's that's always a good thing. And on top of that, even though uh, since there will be no fans, I mean, local businesses and stuff are really going to suffer, people that depend on this, yeah. maybe this will save some of your non-revenue sports. You know, maybe getting this big check from the Big Ten that they're going to get because they're going to put games on TVs will lessen the impact, and maybe save some non-revenue sports as well. So it's good there, too. Update from the NFL on COVID testing. 40,479 tests were administered to a total of almost 7,500 players and team personnel. Almost 16,000 tests were administered to 2,500 players. 25,000 tests administered to 4,926 personnel. This was September 6th through September 12th, so last week. And out of 40,000 and a half, 40 and a half thousand tests totally administered. Two new confirmed positive tests among players and five among other personnel. 2,500 players. Two out of 2,500. It's a good percentage, right? I think so. That's good. Well, when you can tell somebody, hey, you want to lose your job, go go test positive, those things can happen. I promise you, I wouldn't leave the house except to come do this show. Two divided by 2511. Point zero 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 seven nine percent. What is that? Eight ten thousandths of a percent? I think that's right. It's a dark day for the NFL. <laughs> the NFL is living in its darkest days. Or not so much. Sports Talk Mississippi. We will transition back to the Magnolia State and hear from Mississippi State's presumed starting quarterback, K.J. Costello. That's coming up next with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. C Spire text line is open. 
601-879-4395. That's the number if you want to be part of the conversation. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a C Spire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how C Spire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Uh, a couple of things on the ceasefire text line. Uh, let's see. Mike says Richard point zero 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 seven nine would actually be point zero seven nine percent. Still minuscule. That's good. That's a good point. I forgot to move the decimal. I move the decimal two places, and instead of seven ten thousandths of a percent. Or rounding up eight ten thousandths of a percent, it's eight one hundredths of a percent. Oh, I just saw where from August twelfth when they started full padded practices to September twelfth, they gave eighty thousand tests, with seven coming up as positive. Mm. Rusty in Hattiesburg says 73% of LSU season ticket holders opt out. That's still 20. I mean, that's enough to, that's what they've got for capacity, though, right? Well, I mean, like 25%. So that's assuming that. Yeah, I mean, that's what you're getting at, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I see what It doesn't you're necessarily equate to 27% of the tickets in the stadium, but. They'll still have 20,000 or so in there. Is Ole Miss is doing that. Ole Miss, I saw they're selling single game tickets for. Uh, for the Florida game, so I assume yeah. That so there they were about sixteen thousand available, and yeah. they sent out an email today that said a limited number of tickets were available for purchase, starting at like what one hundred and fifteen dollars or something along that, those yeah. lines, something like that. There, so, a lot of people are just going to move to next season. I I wonder if there's any at all reluctance to just go to a game at all for right some now. people. Yeah, there is. Especially if Absolutely, you're at risk. there is if you're, for some you're people. You're 65 plus. You've got respiratory issues. You know, no, you're not going to the game. You shouldn't anyway. I did have somebody that's my age say that they don't want to go to games because the atmosphere is not as good. I said, "You're crazy." Now you're going to have room to actually sit and enjoy it, as opposed to rubbing elbows and hips with people that you don't know next to you. Yeah, I'm kind of agree with your friend on that. It'll be a little different, but I mean, do you go? Because the stadium's loud, or do you go to watch your team? It's true. Well, I mean, I get what you're saying, but there's no denying when you've got in a 63,000 seat stadium, 64,000 people who are just foaming at the mouth for, you know, big time upset or thinking they're favorites or whatever. That's obviously a better atmosphere and a more fun event. Than if you go for a non-conference game late in the season when it's freezing and there's seventeen thousand folks there, uh, unless you're Ole Miss 2019, in which that was every home game. But you know, yeah, yeah. All right, let, let's hear from KJ Costello. We're not going to hear the just one really interesting answer, and then Hey Dad will also kind of clue us into some of the other things that KJ Costello talked about yesterday after practice. So KJ Costello meeting uh, with the media, I, I think, well, we'll just listen to it. Question and then uh, an answer about, uh, well, you'll hear it. Go ahead. 
KJ, we spent three weeks asking the coach as he named a starter. Has he ever come up to you and said, KJ, you're my starter for the opening week? No, he he, he hasn't done that yet. I mean, I, uh, I've very much respected the way he's gone about it. I mean, um, his MO is competition, 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 just in terms of how he runs practice, um, in terms of how everything functions within the team. Um, he hasn't said that yet, but, I mean, I've taken the majority of the one reps um, for the majority of camp, but, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in competition as well. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's my take on that. So I guess KJ Costello is saying all the right things. And I certainly understand that question. I just wonder, I don't know that Mike Leach is ever going to walk up to KJ Costello and say, KJ, you are my starting quarterback. No, it's like he's saying it without saying it, but by saying, well, I mean, 85% of the first team reps are going to you in practice. A depth chart will come out eventually, and KJ Costello will be atop it. So, yes, yeah. that, that is true. There's not going to be that Hollywood moment of, you're my starter, you're my guy, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. What else did KJ have to say yesterday? As uh, we're now 10 days away from kickoff, quite a bit. If you go in, uh, and listen to that interview, it's almost, it's almost 20 minutes long uh, worth of, of talking to him. Uh, he talked about his familiarity uh, or becoming familiar with the system and how he had to do that over the summer without, you know, the benefit of, of a, a, you know, a spring practice or anything of that nature. I talked about his relationship with Will Rogers and, you know, you know it's, it's an interesting, you know, group. You got the, uh, the California kid graduated from Stanford and is here as a transfer. And then you've got the Brandon Mississippi kid, true freshman who has sort of taken, the, the team by storm and won that backup quarterback job and has everybody sort of looking at him as the as the future of the program. Um, and, their relationship, and hey, Dad, which is yeah. No, I was just going to say I, I saw I guess it was a Kobe Jones quote about um, about Will Rogers, yeah. and said that when we see him in the game, it's as if QB one is in. Not in the game, but talking about in a, right. in a scrimmage setting in practice. in practice. The the team has really taken to him, and he apparently is. He's really playing well in practice. So, you know, what is that going to mean if something happens and he has to come in and play a, an LSU or an Alabama or something like that? I don't know the answer to that. But right now, they, they, they like him enough that they told Garrett Schrader, who played well as a true freshman, hey, if you want to get on the field, you need to move to receiver. Do you think Will Rogers is the post-KJ Costello quarterback of the future? I don't know. Um, it would depend on what happens, I think, with Schrader and with Jalen Maiden. Uh, if they were to both decide they want to play quarterback and transfer out and you go into next year with, uh, you know, Rodgers, who, you know, barring injury, shouldn't play much this year, and then a couple of true freshmen, they might go back to the portal again. But if, even if you do that, you you're still you still have two, three, four years of, of Will Rogers, whatever he wants to do. Um, I think down the road, though, yeah, he's going to have to battle it out with Sawyer Robertson, who is, you know, Really, Mike Leach's guy out there in Texas, the high school senior. But there's a good chance that, yeah, Will Rogers. And if he, and the cool thing is, you know, if he does win that job and he's the starter for three years, well, the entire MSU passing record book will belong to him. Yes. And, and I get what you're saying about the kid in Texas is really his guy. But this is somebody, Will Rogers, that he recruited to Washington State. And then when he comes to Mississippi State, he brings him in as a quarterback in that first class. And. Wouldn't you say the same thing about Will Rogers being Mike Leach's guy? He he is. I mean, he he definitely recruited him at Washington State, but I I think Robertson is is more 
of of what he's he's. I think it's he's a little bit more his guy, if that makes sense. Okay, I don't know how else to put that. I, I hate the the whole label of system quarterback, and you got multiple players now in the NFL that have pr- proved that despite playing in Mike Leach's offense, which is very much a system. I mean, everybody's got a system in place. They're capable of doing more. Gardner Minshew certainly a great example. We've seen Luke Falk in the NFL. Uh, you know, other guys that have played for Mike Leach have spent some time in the NFL. But there is something too within the confines of the system that they are running in college. Maybe a guy like Will Rogers makes a lot of sense. It it's about finding the mismatches, throwing accurately, and getting the ball out on time. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, a little it, bit. Is that when you really boil it down, would you agree that those are kind of the three most important things for a quarterback under Mike Leach? Yeah. The way that Costello put it last night was, you know, I asked him a question about Derek Stingley and looking ahead to LSU, and he said, you know, it's not as much about attacking certain players as in this offense as attacking space. You want to find where guys have space, and that's what's that's, that's careful. The, careful. What? That's very Phil Longo-esque. <laughs> hey, man, if you get open, catch the ball. Uh yeah, so so I, I agree. Yeah, that's that's what it's going to be about. It's going to be about you know finding the guys who can not only catch the ball and and gosh, catching the ball is going to be such a key for Mississippi State this year because we all know that it was a problem last season. Um, but if those guys can catch the ball, I think this offense is designed to put them in situations where they can run a little bit. You've got some receivers and and some guys who I think can do some things after the catch and Javante Payton and maybe an Austin Williams, maybe Tulu Griffin, certainly Kylan Hill, who I think you know. Right now, if you said who's going to be State's leading receiver at the end of the year, I would say Kylan Hill. I think he'll catch more passes than anybody else. That's what happened last year at Washington State. So, um, Really? You think it'll yeah. be Kylan Hill who's the leading receiver? That's what it, like I said. A season ago at Washington State, it was a running back. It was Max Borgie. He was the leading receiver on the team. He had 86 catches. Hmm. Pretty fascinating to see. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We're going to visit with Bill Bender. Coming up on the Farm Bureau phone line, we'll get some of his reaction to the news of the day in the college football world. But first, we will take a timeout. Sports Talk, streaming at supertalk.fm. You can always listen on demand. We'll be right back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Always enjoy our conversations with Bill Bender from the Sporting News. He joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line right now. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. So there is going to be football in the Big Ten, Bill. Yeah, never a doubt, right? <laughs> never a no. doubt. Right. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting couple days, obviously, up here and. You know, as I've kind of coined it with the column I wrote earlier today, I mean, I don't know if it's a perfect plan. I don't know if it's going to work. But if you look at the state of college football across everywhere else, I mean, at least it's a plan. At least it's a chance to play. And I'm sure there'll be some drama along the way, but that's not exclusive to what's already in college football right now. Are the restrictions that the Big Ten put in place designed to make it fail? That's going to make it easy. I mean, obviously, COVID, you know, one of the cases I've been looking at is Memphis and Arkansas State played two weeks ago, and now both are shut down or on pause or whatever you want to term it. Um, They are strict medical standards. Um, Whatever, you know, I think the daily testing thing will be a big difference maker, and whatever ends up happening, you know, they can't say that they didn't try to make it as safe as possible. And And, you know, I'm okay with it for the most part. I think that daily testing will be a huge thing. 
I'm not asking you to criticize a uh, a colleague in the sports media world, but there was a uh, a well-known and pretty accomplished columnist today who wrote uh-huh. that these were the darkest days for the Big Ten, a conference that has endured Jerry Sandusky, has endured Larry Nasser. How does anybody get to that point that the return of college football in the Big Ten footprint is one of the darkest days in the history of the league? Well, I, you know, I know Christine has done a great job for several years, and I'm not going to criticize her per se, but I can respectfully disagree. I can say that, you know, I think the thing that I'm looking at, at least from my perspective, is you do have to balance the excitement of having a you know, tradition back in your life with college football with the awareness that COVID's not over, that there are deaths every day, that it's a very dangerous thing we're doing here in some ways. But if it can be done safely, and I think that's what Kevin Warren and that task force and uh, Dr. Borchers at Ohio State, that's what those guys are paid to do, is come up with the safest possible plan. And and like Kevin Warren said today, if you want to listen to him and not rush to judgment, I think the biggest thing I took away from it, he said, yeah, it's a fluid situation. I mean, tomorrow they could cancel, and then we can't say, you know, if they say it's not safe enough to play, it's not safe enough to play. But in reality, can't we look around and see that people are playing all over the place and it's, for the most part, working? We, we knew there was not going to be a scenario where this wasn't going to happen without some bumps and without some cancellations and some crazy reschedulings along the way. But by and large, it's it, football is being played and it's working. At the high school level, at the NFL level, at the grade school level, I mean, I'm in my car and my son to fight football practice as we speak. So, I mean, we all think about it. I've thought about it a lot, but yeah, you can, I I think there's, for me at least, there was that second of being excited. Uh, You know, Ohio State's going to get out there and Michigan's going to get out there and we're going to see some Big Ten football and I'm still excited. I mean, the SEC hasn't even gotten started. And I think anybody that thinks that the last two weekends, and we're going on three now, don't feel a little bit empty without the SEC and Big Ten playing, I mean... I think you're lying to yourselves because they, they're definitely going to generate a lot of excitement when those conferences get going. Yeah, no, no question about that. What position does your uh, does your son play? Oh, we got him out of receiver. He plays a little bit of a safety, too. So uh, he, he works hard out here. And, again, I mean, him and his friends are nine-year-olds, and we have to take COVID restrictions with them. You know, you have to put a mask on. You have to do so many things in the course of a day that um, – to try to make it safe for these kids, and that's what we're trying to do. And, and and you know what? I know that's what the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC are trying to do. I, Richard, the ACC's had a lot of bumps. I mean, Virginia and Virginia Tech aren't playing today. Right. No, you're exactly right. Week, are you the I'm coach, sure. by the way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of fun, and we run a lot of creative stuff. Um, you can probably compare me more to Leach with my playbook. I always tell parents, when they yell at me for something, you're going to yell at me it's throwing too much, and I don't really care. <laughs> I love it. I, I, unless you have that one kid that is so incredible with the ball in his hands, you just got to get it to him. Well, I mean, we balance it out, but yeah, you'll have a couple. We have a, we have a fun mix of kids, and um, you know, I, that's the fun part for me. I mean, this is another year where you know, a month ago, I didn't know if I was going to be able to do this, and, and I think a lot of college coaches feel that way. And again, I, not to keep going back to that call, but yeah, I mean. Excitement in places like Columbus and Ann Arbor today, tempered with the okay, we can safely possible. 
Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Connects is a little sketchy. We'll try and spend just a couple of more minutes with him before we cut him loose for uh, for flag football pass uh, practice. Coach Bill Bender joining us today on the uh, the Farm Bureau phone line. The idea of no fans in the stands in any of the 14 stadiums, how's that being received? Because when, when people look, it's like, okay, well, most of the NFL teams are not letting fans in. But most of the SEC teams are at 20 to 25%, which is nowhere close to what it feels like when it's at capacity. But nobody, are people reacting adversely to that? I mean, I think it, right now it's just uh, happy to have a season. Now, I think this is my personal opinion, and uh, you feel free to disagree, but I, I'm cool with them not having fans there. I think less people equals less risk, less chance for things to happen. You know, and I saw that Notre Dame had fans, and I I know that the SEC is having fans, and that's fine. I mean, if you can do it, do it safely, and distance and all those kind of things, more power to you, do it. But um, I kind of, you know, with the NFL, it was fine. I I, it was especially fine because Green Bay was able to get a win with no fans and go pick up the victory. Yeah. Bill, tell me this. What do you think the tipping point was? Because I, I know that the Big Ten says, oh, there were advancements in medicine and we've got more testing available. And I'm just kind of calling bull on that. And you can tell me I'm way off the mark because the testing was there five weeks ago. And, you know, if if you read what the doctors intended in that myocarditis report, they, they weren't saying shut it down, although that's what the Big Ten kind of leaned on. So what do you think the tipping point was? in the decision-making process to go from 11-3 to against to unanimous four? Uh, three was pretty loud, though. Three is pretty loud when Ohio State's leading the three. And, You're right. Um, Ohio State, yeah, and I think that was part of it. I mean, some of it was internal pressure. Some of it was financial. Some of it was, has to be the testing to me. I mean, that they can lock down the testing and do it as safely as possible. And some of it was political, quite honestly. It's all out there. I think it's a combination of all those factors. When you put on top of it, too, that when the Big Ten made that decision, I'm guessing that they thought, well, the SEC, ACC, Big 12 will fall in line eventually because Pac-12 did. And when that didn't happen, they had to reassess. But, I mean, it goes back to what I said about Kevin Warren being fluid. I mean, we're all living that right now with our schools, businesses. I mean, how many people have been I think we're losing Bill a little bit. Bill, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you free. I know you've got uh, I know you got oh, no, football good. practice. Always appreciate your time and look forward to visiting with you again soon, my friend. Hey, sorry you cut out there. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, that's Bill Bender from the uh, Sporting News. A little bit of a sketchy phone connection, but uh, he had to go draw up some ball plays and uh, get ready for flag football practice. But d- did want to kind of hear his perspective. And uh, Borky was fascinating to me just a second ago. Uh, you know what what was the tipping point and he didn't isolate a single thing, but he said it was kind of a confluence of factors. Can, can you be on board with that? Can can you buy into that idea? I can, absolutely. Um, and, and I didn't really think about it before when we were talking about it, but he makes a really good point. Yes, the Big Ten would survive without Ohio State, but it looked really different. And I, I think I underestimated, especially after hearing him being a guy that's located in Ohio, how impactful that school and that brand and their voice, I mean, their head coach was outspoken, I mean, as of last week even, that probably pulled a lot more weight than I think we gave it credit for. What do you think, hey, Dad? I think Borky's right. I mean, I, the, the number of factors that are involved in all this are, are, are too numerous to count. You know, and, and but 
I guess at the end of the day, I'm just happy that we got to this point because I want college football. I want as much college football on the television as I could possibly get. I want to see Justin Fields running up and down the field. I want Jim Harbaugh whining and making excuses on Saturday. <laughs> That's what I want. So You might even get more. Breaking yeah. news. The what? governor of Oregon has granted the Ducks and the Beavers an exemption from state sport restrictions. The conference need to submit plans, but Oregon can go on. So now it's just California. I read a column earlier today that said the Pac-12 now needs to play because if the Pac-12 does not, it's a power four. And so even if the four teams from California have to go somewhere else to play, if the Pac-12 does not play this season, call it the power four because they're done. And I agree. Borky, the president said he's now pushing for the Pac-12 to play. His quote... (laughs) His that quote, man. <laughs> I love it. His quote, there's no reason the Pac-12 shouldn't be playing now. You're the only one now. Open up. Open up, Pac-12. You have time right now. Get going. And those are states that uh, that he probably won't win. So now you could you could pull the political card away from the Big 10 thing. Just I love it so much. Are they going to allow more than 12 people to practice at, uh, at the same time in Oregon? Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. we got some bold predictions coming up. Hey. Kind of digging this news that has come out of all oh, the NCAA somewhere or another. John Rothstein and others reporting it. The official start date for the college basketball season is what has been discussed and rumored. November 25th. Yeah. All right. That's two weeks late. It's no big deal. That's right? fine. Play a season. Maybe drop three. Three or four non-conference games, play a fewer non-conference slates. By the way, did you guys see that Battle for Atlantis, which is normally played at lovely Atlantis in the Bahamas, it is quite spectacular. This year is instead being played in South Dakota. You know, some people say that South Dakota is the Atlantis of the upper Midwest. So. <laughs> I hope you get that assignment this year, Richard. I really want awesome. you to go to I've Super never Ball. been to South Dakota. Hey, that time of year, buddy, you're going to see nothing but snow. You'll have no idea what that place looks like. Flat. Imagine being in the Delta, but, you know, it's a it's a blizzard. That's what you're going to have. <laughs> you spent much time in South Dakota? No, but I know that there's, you know, not a lot. It's a very flat part of the world, except for Mount Rushmore. You know, other than that. Yeah. That's good, uh, though. It, it is a, nice. You ever, you ever been to Mount Rushmore? No? I have not. Well, there you go. Put it on the list. It is nice to see that, even though everybody's pointing to, oh, they just want to make money, which, yes, welcome to life. That's the goal for everything. Everybody. Everybody is to make money. So, yes, college sports want to play so they can, you know, continue to feed their families at night. Right. (laughs) Um, But it is good to see that now people are starting to realize that, hey, the the coronavirus just isn't going to up and disappear. Right, it's not going anywhere. We can mitigate the spread, and and we're doing that. A lot of places, case numbers are really going down. That's a great thing. There are new studies and new testing, and all that's going very good. But at the end of the day, coronavirus is still going to be here, and it's nice to see cooler heads prevailing and realizing we can't just shut this all down. It's not sustainable. It's not survivable. It doesn't make any sense anyway. 
So let's try to find a way to put all these things on. Cut the crap and play college basketball because you can safely. And it's just good to see that people are starting to figure it out. And I think it's reasonable to think that, I mean, you know, as of right now, the Pac-12 is not allowing sports to be played until January 1st. So next year, we'll see if they reverse course on that. If they don't, and there's going to be a ton of schedule shuffling, I think you will see some small programs, small schools, who after not playing football are going to say, just really don't have the budget to, to do basketball, and so we're going to have to shut it down. I think there are probably going to be some athletic departments that end up shuttered after it's all said and done. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to rush to that, whatever. So there's going to be a lot of movement, right, a lot of moving parts between now and then. Yes, you're, you're going to play the Bahamas Battle for Atlantis tournament in South Dakota. I was there two years ago. Great event in the Bahamas. Spectacular. But ultimately, the event is about the basketball. I mean, the beach is nice, and the dolphins are nice, and the slides are nice, but ultimately, it's about basketball. And it's about basketball on multiple levels, right? It's about the teams need the games. They need the competition. They're looking for quality neutral site wins. ESPN needs content for its platforms, and so they stage these tournaments or work with the sponsors to stage these tournaments, and they've got a lot of content. I mean, you bring eight eight teams to one site, and you play four games a day for three days. Last year I was in Charleston for the Charleston Classic, and it was a blast. Same concept. Hosted by the College of Charleston, got a good sponsor for the event, um, You know, good turnout, good teams, good competition. You can still do that. Maybe instead of 4,000 people in there for the championship game, you only allow 1,000 in there. But guess what? For all the other games, absent uh, except for when UConn and Xavier played each other on that, that first Friday night of the tournament, I think it was Thursday, Thursday night, Friday night, whichever night it was, and the 4,000-seat venue had 2,800 people in it. It was a great atmosphere. And, you know, nobody fills those gyms up. You watch the wild... the the, the tournament that happens at Disney World every year. That's nothing but a bunch of empty seats in the in the big arena. Maui's really so, the only preseason tournament that really packs it out, right? Yeah. I mean, you'll have some good crowds depending on who teams are. I mean, like when, when I was in the Bahamas two years ago, Wisconsin had great crowds. They probably had 1,000 people that were there. Virginia probably had 800 or 1,000 that were there. Um, Dayton had a surprisingly good crowd that was there. They love their basketball at Dayton. But then you had a bunch of other teams that were just like, I mean, Florida had 200. Uh, I mean, Southern Miss played in that tournament in, in the Bahamas last year. Probably didn't have many people. Some, but not many, that made the trip from Hattiesburg to Atlantis. So, you know, it's about getting the basketball in. And for people that love college basketball, it's really cool, really good news. But again, I think you're going to see an incredible amount of schedule shuffling. Hey, Dad, I don't have Mississippi State's or Ole Miss's schedules pulled up right now. I think Ole Miss was playing in a tournament this year in... Destin or Crestview, that that area. Where was Mississippi yeah. State's? Were they playing in an early season tournament this year? They yeah, and I don't remember where it is off the top of my head, but they were in a tournament, and they also had that game, that neutral site game planned for for the uh, Pensacola area. 
Okay. Uh, that was uh, is that like uh, against Oklahoma State or something like that? I, I, something like that. I, I, I honestly, and I'm sure you can sympathize. The college basketball schedule has been the furthest thing from my mind, basically the past four or five months. So, but yes, they they were involved and in, they they had some stuff already signed up to do for sure. They were in the Big yeah. Twelve uh, challenge too, so that would have uh, been another thing. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you know, all of that stuff. You uh, you figure it out. Uh, Clemson. Yeah. They were playing Clemson, Clemson in Melbourne, Florida as part of the Cancun Challenge. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. They were going to Cancun, but that has been moved to Melbourne, Florida, and they will play Clemson. This says on November 24th, although I guess that will probably get pushed back a day or two. And then we're supposed to play Illinois State or Purdue. They are scheduled to play Dayton this year in Atlanta. Yes. They are scheduled to go to Minnesota. Utah State was the December game that I was thinking of. Utah in State City. in Panama City Beach. What a start to the season. If Purdue beats Illinois State, you've got Clemson, Purdue, Dayton, Minnesota, and Utah State to start your basketball season. Wow. With a team that I'm interested to find out about. That's how you RPI schedule, right? There. Well, wait, wait, wait. That's how you net schedule now. Net. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, you look at Ole Miss's early basketball schedule, and obviously things are up in the air right now. They've still got the original schedule on there. Uh, Ole Miss was scheduled to play in the Cayman Islands Classic. In Niceville, Florida. Well, that got moved, right? There. Yes, that's why I said the Cayman Islands Classic in Niceville, Florida. They were going to the Caymans. Instead, Niceville, right across from, you know, Destin, 30A, all of that area. Um, Hopefully that's, I mean, it's a long way out, but that area has gotten just wrecked today. It's kind of a direct hit on Gulf Shores, right? Yep. Florida is still standing, though. Are the mullets being tossed as we speak? They might have to delay that a couple of days, but the building is still intact. Wasn't it like for a few weeks it was only happening on the Bama side because the Florida side was was undergoing some shutdown? I spent a few days in Florida, um, I don't know, a month or so ago, and I'm here to tell you, there are a lot of folks in Florida that are unaware of the old global pandemic that's going on. Morky, you saw that. I may have been a little more aggressive in like going out to dinner or just kind of being out and about than, than you were, partially because I had two legs that were functioning. Um, but like I walked into one restaurant, one of my favorite spots down there. And I was like, I kind of walked in and I did this, oh, mask. They're like, don't worry about it, man. You're good. I was like, sweet. Great. You um, live a little differently when your backyard's an ocean. Yeah. Salt kind of cures everything. It's good for the soul as well. It's like a Jimmy Buffett fries. song. Say again? It's good on French fries. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll do those bold Quick predictions timeout. eventually. We will get to those bold predictions. we got plenty of time remaining. That's there. Plenty of time remaining. 
We'll be right back. Don't forget, C Spire text lines open 601-879-4395. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Michael Borky wants us to engage in some bold predictions. The annual, Give me the rundown. The annual tradition of bold predictions is back. Just 10 days away from the start of the season, by the way. So here's what I think we should do. We've got 14 teams in the SEC, 12 of which I want one bold prediction for each team, and then a little extra Three for both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Okay. Uh, are we doing this? Are you going to do East and West? Yeah, I'll start with the East. All right, hey, Dad. You can, uh, you, you can lead us off. I guess we'll go, what, alphabetically? So, in the East, Florida. Give me a bold prediction. They'll lose to LSU. Mm, okay. I don't hate that. Okay. Florida, either favorite to win or finish second in the SEC East. LSU doing a lot in the way of rebuilding. No love lost between those two teams. Hey, Dad's bold prediction for the Gators is they will lose to LSU. Borky, give me one. Florida's going to win the SEC East with two losses. Who? Eight and two. Good enough to win the SEC East. Does that mean that they beat Georgia head-to-head? They beat Georgia but lose two games elsewhere. Oh, man. So you have Georgia also going 8-2? and Georgia will also lose two games. Okay. Oof. Uh, Bold prediction for Florida. Kyle Trask will have 20 or more touchdown passes this year. I don't is that bold? That's not very bold. Mullen starting quarterback. That's two a game. But it is an all-SEC schedule, man. He's not going to have that game where he throws for yeah, five they, touchdowns in the first half and they sit him on his butt I mean, for the second. LSU's their toughest West game and they, you know, they don't uh they have Georgia, but the rest of the schedule's pretty easy. They could do that. I mean, against Vandy, against Vandy, and 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 don't they play Arkansas? No, that's Georgia. But I mean, they're going to have a couple games where he easy has four. games are Vanderbilt, Missouri, and South Carolina. Missouri and South Carolina are at home. They do have Kentucky at home. They also have Arkansas. They do have Arkansas. I completely skipped over it. Yes, yeah, so they have I mean, Arkansas, that's, that's Missouri, and where, South Carolina all at home. That's two games where Trask could get eight to ten touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. But, but that's not really what that offense always does. Yeah. I mean, you you, you got to know that some of those opportunities are going to be lost by quarterback runs. With Trask, eh. saying a bunch, he moves okay. 
But, I mean, are we pretending like Dan Mullen's not afraid all of a sudden to bust his quarterback up in there to try and stick it in the end zone from two yards out? Take what the defense gives you. You Just evaluate this play. Be all right. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to pull Trask stats up from last year. I don't remember those off the top of my head. Let's uh, I'll, I'll circle back to that. Let's uh, at least get one more of these in. Bold prediction for Georgia. I, mean, I feel like just predicting them to not win the East is pretty bold at this point. Um, I guess my bold prediction, I don't know if it's even bold at this point, but I think that JT Daniels might not be the starting quarterback. I think it looks like that Dewan Mathis is going to be the guy for them. Isn't that crazy? He went from, oh, he's going to win the Heisman to, oh, he's not going to start. And Jamie Newman's not even there. He threw 25 touchdowns last year. Yeah. Did Trask. Hmm. I mean, I guess if I was going to be bold in terms of touchdown passes, I would say Trask will throw the same number of touchdowns in 10 games as he threw for the season last year. There you go. Well, how many games did he play last year? He only played in like 10 games. So. I know. Yeah. Stop picking apart my bold predictions. Make a bold prediction, why don't you? Okay. Music started. I got to think on these a little bit more. Yeah, we got the rest of the show. I liked where I was going with that with Trask. I'm just not sure what number I want to uh, I want to lock in on. I guess I could have gone the other way. I guess I could have said a lot of people love Kyle Trask. He's going to throw fewer than 20 touchdown passes this year. Would that have been more bold? That would have been bold. Okay. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. College football fix is coming your way. Big news today in the Big Ten. We will continue our bold predictions. If you want to send us some of yours, you can do so on the Ceasefire text line. More coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi with you rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Wednesday. Thanks for being with us. Want more fast and less furious? Switch to Gigabit Ceasefire Fiber and see what real internet looks like. No data caps, no long-term contracts, no cancellation fees. Learn more at ceasefire.com slash fiber. You can join us on the Ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395. Nine five. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Ford Truck Month going on. Your chance to get behind the wheel of F-150. Super Duty or the Ford Ranger. You can check them out online at buyfordnow.com or visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer to test drive one today. So yesterday you had Pac-12 players asking the governor to let them play. Today the Mountain West Conference gets in on the action. Craig Thompson is the commissioner of the Mountain West, and this uh, tweet came earlier today. Multiple subgroups within the conference are working daily on solutions to the existing challenges in order to facilitate a return to play for Mountain West football and other conference sports programs at the earliest possible opportunity. This includes finalizing a plan for frequent rapid response testing and continuing to monitor the status of public health directives in our Mountain West states and communities. Is that a statement with a bunch of words that doesn't actually say anything? Pretty much, but I think it's noteworthy that 
there is some serious momentum to for everyone, really, at this point. Yeah. It's almost like everybody decided they wanted to play college football, especially when they looked around and half the country was playing college football or had plans to. And people of their status, if you will, are, are playing and going on to their second game already. Yeah, I mean, you got Sunbelt playing, you got the American playing, you've got um, parts of uh, well, Conference USA for the most part playing, I guess, outside of Old Dominion. So three of the group of five leagues are playing. The Mountain West is not. The MAC is not. The Big Ten shut it down, but now they've announced they're going to play starting on October 24th. They've got some pretty serious restrictions in place, but the plan is to play eight games over eight weeks, have the championship game on December 19th, and the 12 teams that are not playing in the championship game will be seeded and will play their opposite division opponent that is at the same seed line as themselves. Which... I guess that means they're going to play nine games instead of eight. Everybody in the uh, the Big Ten will play nine games. If the ACC gets all 11 in and the SEC gets all 10 in and Ohio State goes undefeated in the Big Ten and is impressive doing so, but they only play nine, are you good with Ohio State being part of the playoff? They better look really impressive. Would a 9-0 Ohio State trump a 10-1 Georgia? Or Florida? That's a great question. Thank you. What's the answer? Um, no. Ohio State, the, Ohio State gets in undefeated over a one-loss SEC team, I believe. I would agree with that. What if the one loss is Florida loses to Georgia but beats Alabama in the SEC championship game? Well, I mean, they still would get in. The Ohio State would still get in. The the question would be uh, if it's the only SEC team that's viable. Or, or whatever the case may be. Let's pretend that Oklahoma goes undefeated and Ohio State goes undefeated and Clemson goes undefeated and, well, and then you've got Alabama and Georgia. Both are 10-1. and one. Somehow it works out that way. That's your question. Is the second SEC team? Yeah. That's probably fair. I would say in that scenario, only one SEC team gets in. Tend to agree. But I think that, that's okay where... That. I would, too. But that, that's where it's going to get dicey, is the second SEC team versus an all-conference schedule played by a Penn State or somebody like that who's 8-1 and one and Georgia's... or Florida is 10-1, and one, but Alabama's already in. That's where it gets dicey. Um, hmm. Let's go to our bold predictions again. So we got Florida and Georgia out of the way, is that right? Did you make a Georgia one? You didn't make a Georgia one either, did I? Yeah. Okay, Borky, give me your Georgia bold prediction. They lose three games. 
Mm, I was about to say the exact same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the third? I I mean, it's Alabama and Florida and... Auburn. No. This is a weird year, man. That's what I keep trying to tell people, is especially week one, but it's going to be like this every single week. Where these these teams like Alabama, for example, who usually have better rosters than everybody else, number one, they could be hurt by the fact that there could be a COVID-positive outbreak or whatever. But it is a 10-game conference schedule, and some teams will be healthier than others. Some teams will respond better than others. This is a very unique year, and I think discrediting Auburn, for example, as a just a program in the SEC, I think is a bad thing to do because they do have the talent, and if they're healthier, let's say they have no cases going into the Georgia game and Georgia's got 10, well, there you go. It's it, COVID has changed everything about how we should look at this football season to me. Uh, my bold prediction uh, prediction for Georgia: they lose to Kentucky. Ooh, I like that. Now too. we're talking on That's the road bad. after Alabama. I like that. Thanks. You hated my first one so much. I, I figured it had to be a little bit better. All right, uh, bold prediction for Kentucky. I think I just I killed it. two burns with one stone. Yeah, I got yeah. one too. They win week one. They beat Auburn. Ooh. Could you see a scenario where Kentucky wins at Auburn in week one and then loses at home to Ole Miss in week two? It's possible. Nah, I, I don't, but I mean it's not it's not completely unlikely. It's not a hundred percent one way or the other, but I think Ole Miss I think state I think Kentucky will win both of those games. Okay. Do you think Kentucky will beat Ole Miss and Mississippi State in consecutive weeks? If I look at my old uh, helmet schedule that we did a podcast on the other day, yes. What do you? I'm, I'm curious. What do you have Kentucky's final record is? <sighs> Great radio here. One, two, three, four, five, six, and four. Six and four. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have. But that's after Alabama. beating Auburn, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State to start the year. I have them losing to Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. Okay, that's fair. Porky, give me a bold Kentucky prediction. I don't know how bold this is, but I think uh, a regression to the mean is coming. Uh, I think that that's a team that at best will be a 500 team. So a 4-6 and six or at best 5-5 five and five football team. What makes you think that? Don't like their quarterback as much as some other people do. He's shown you flashes of being good, but the body of work isn't as great as people want to chalk it up to be. And it's a 10-game conference schedule. Kentucky, while being good under Stoops, I don't want to discredit that. He's done a very good job. Don't have the benefit of schedule wins like they usually do. So it could be a good, I mean, even average, above-average football team. But they have 10 games of SEC opponents and one that they should win easily with Vanderbilt. All the other ones are at least a challenge, and that's different than what they're used to. Hmm. What about Missouri? 
I mean, it's tough to make a bold prediction about a team you know very, very little about. I have them going uh, two and eight. So I, I <laughs> they beat. Well, South the good Carolina. news is, hey, Dad, is the music is starting, and you can mull that one I, over just I a bit. I can take it over, yeah. I've got one for you. Eli Drinkwitz will wear that gold sweater on the sideline at some point this year. He'll go crazy over a third down conversion. Nah, it's not so bold. You can think on that. You can think about the rest of the East, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. That's your college football fix driven by Ford. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, ceasefire text line, as you know, open to you, 601-879-4395. Um, <laughs> Looking at some of these predictions, some of them are funny. Uh, some of them I'm not sure that uh, they should necessarily be uh, read on the air. These were uh, a couple of uh, random ones. Um Let's see. I'll get back to those in a minute. So a Missouri bold prediction. I got one. Okay. Missouri senior tailback Larry Roundtree will lead the SEC in rushing this year. Mm, Okay. So that means more than Najee Harris at Alabama, more than Kylan Hill at Mississippi State, which I don't think that's a crazy... Yeah, prediction. Yeah. More than Jerrion Ely at Ole Miss. Yeah. More than every other tailback in the conference is what I'm no, saying. No, I know. I just was I, I understand what you were saying. I was just thinking about some of the names that he would likely have to surpass to do that and would make it pretty impressive. As a sophomore rush for twelve hundred yards, had some injuries last year, but uh yeah. That that offense, the, the that app state offense, that's run heavy. Let's go with that. Porky, you got one from Missouri? Eli Drinkwitz may not win it, but he will be a candidate for SEC Coach of the Year. Ooh, I don't see that. That's very mm. Based on what? Based on the fact that they win more games than they lose. I mean, I don't think he's going to win it again because teams are going to be better than his. He's going to have a football team that struggles against the better teams in the league, but I think people really undersell his coaching ability because he's done it as a head coach for one year, but... Look at what he did as an offensive mind at NC State. And look at what has happened at NC State since he left. He's also got a pretty veteran offensive line and a good running back. Defensively, there are some pieces there. A schedule that they can win games with. And he's being undersold as a head coach. He's not the sexy hire, and he's kind of a dork. But the guy can coach football. And he's got the pedigree that shows it. And I think people are underselling what he's going to be able to do. Will he be able to recruit to a level that wins SEC championships? Probably not. That's a tough place to do it to anyway. But I think if you win five, six games with that team, you're a candidate for SEC Coach of the Year, to me. If they win six games on that schedule at Missouri, he'll be the National Coach of the Year. Hmm. Hogman, are you listening? I got one for you for Missouri. Missouri will not cover the spread against Arkansas on November 28th. Oh, you're really stepping out there, I tell you. 
Bookie gave man. Missouri six wins. Hey, it's called bold. I, I'm just I going mean, the opposite direction. Uh, South Carolina. Borky, you want to go first? They don't fire Will Muschamp, and it's not because of COVID. Okay. They win enough games to justify giving him another year. And yeah, I guess it's because of, of COVID, because of 10-game SEC schedule and stuff, but those predicting 2-8 and eight fall off the map, I don't think that's going to happen. There's enough talent on that roster and competent quarterback play to win enough games to justify keeping him. Hey, Dad, you got a South Carolina bold prediction? It's the opposite of Borky's. They go 3-7 and seven and they fire him despite COVID. Ooh. Because they know they can go get Billy Napier. Can they? I think that's I think that's the job. I think that's why he didn't come to Mississippi State. He knew he knew Muschamp wasn't much longer for South Carolina. And you think that's once he transitions to South Carolina, if he wins there, he can then use that to step to mm-hmm. Alabama or, or wherever he wants to go. Yeah, I believe that. Okay. He, he did play college ball in the state, not for South Carolina, but in the state, and he got his coaching start in the state as well. So there are some ties there. I have South Carolina beating uh, Vanderbilt and Missouri for sure, and then Ole Miss is a toss-up for me. You're not a fan of this Ole Miss team. I don't. I. I they got a lot of question marks. So does State. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a, a bias thing. It's just there's a lot of questions. Yeah. Especially up front on both sides. That's 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 a problem. There's so many of these teams that I just don't feel like we know enough about. And that's a result of COVID. That's because we don't have the guys at practice telling us what's going on out there. State don't miss everywhere. Nobody's going to practice and see anything. We're just relying on what coaches tell us, which is very little. Are we supposed to like what South Carolina is going to be offensively? Well, you know who's coaching it, right? It's Mike Bobo, the guy who said he didn't want to run tempo. But they're they're not winning a lot of games, I promise. They did lose Feaster and Dowdle. Those are a pretty good combination of running backs. But And they lost the guy they, that they wanted to replace him with, right? The, true the, freshman, five-star five freshman. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's – I like Helensky, but – He's recruited yeah, top I'm... 20 classes every year. And yet they went 4-8 and eight last year. They did. Exactly. South Carolina, they're going to move on this year. That's my bold prediction. And, and that was four and eight with a win over Georgia, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. And that was also with a freshman quarterback. Yeah, who came in after an injury. Hmm. Shy Smith will have a thousand yards receiving at South Carolina. He's their top receiver. Like that, very, very reasonable. Yeah. Okay, um, Tennessee. Bold prediction for Tennessee. They stink. I'm talking three and seven stink. Ooh. Just because you're not buying the hype. I've never have, but who, who's going to play quarterback and is he going to be effective? And Tennessee has had a really hard time with COVID so far this offseason. 
I feel like Tennessee generally gets better as the season goes along. And so I'm going to say that Tennessee beats Texas A&M in Knoxville on November 14th. They get basically a bye the week before. Sorry, Hogman. I have my mind would be I have them going three and one against the SEC West. They'll lose to Alabama, but they'll beat Arkansas, A and M, and Auburn. I'm going first on Vanderbilt so that uh, nobody else can steal this. I got Vandy zero and ten. I don't even know if that's bold. God bless them. I think Mason gets fired. Do you? I mean, you gotta do something. You can't go zero and ten, and they're probably only going to score like twelve touchdowns this year. But but what makes you? We had a a prediction from somebody on the ceasefire text line a second ago that said Vanderbilt scores eight or fewer touchdowns this season. I mean, that's fair. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I just what are you selling at that point, man? I just can't see. Well, it. but what are they yeah. selling anyway? I guess that would be my argument that, against a new co- a new coach gives you something to sell. You can bring in a young, exciting coach, which you can do if you if you're smart. All right, let's flip over to the West. Borky, I guess I missed you on Vanderbilt. I mean, it's not like I can say anything that would be significant other than that. You know, it's Borky's given wins to Missouri. He might have Vanderbilt at five and five. <laughs> South Carolina wins six games. Alabama. I've already made mine. It's that Bryce Young takes over after week three and is the starting quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Week three would be the game against Ole Miss. They open with Missouri on the road. They host Texas A&M, and then they come to Oxford in week three. He'll be he'll be running the show by either by the end of the Ole Miss game or going when they play Georgia. He'll be the starting quarterback. Okay. Bold prediction for Alabama: Nick Saban finally loses to one of his former assistants. Ooh. Is it Jimbo? Jimbo, Smart, Pruitt, Kiffin. Those are your options. Kiffin, yeah. Well, it's it's, it's who's the best option there? Smart. Could they lose at Tennessee? I, I, don't know. I didn't narrow it down. I just said finally loses to one of his former assistants. Like that. You got one, Borky. If they have it, Mac Jones goes to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I don't know if they'll have it because of COVID, but if they have it, he's going. Yeah. I think my prediction for Arkansas is the same as my prediction for Vanderbilt. And that's if they go 0-10. And if they go 0-10, they will have lost 29 consecutive conference games. What's the record? That's tough. Say what? What's the record? That's uh, it's worth looking up. Ceasefire text line, bold prediction, Arkansas has a perfect record and not the one they want. <laughs> kind of thinking in the uh, the same way there. Sports Talk Mississippi, quick timeout. We'll continue this as we work through the rest of the uh, SEC West. We will skip Ole Miss and Mississippi State until the end and then make, uh, Borky says, multiple predictions about the Rebels and the Bulldogs. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, having a little fun trying to make some uh, bold predictions for the upcoming SEC season as we are now just 10 days away from kickoff. Mississippi State opening the year on the road against LSU. 
Ole Miss opening at home against Florida week two. We'll have the Bulldogs at home against Arkansas and uh, Ole Miss on the road against Kentucky. So that's the uh, first couple of weeks for uh, for these two teams. we got their Alabama and Arkansas in the West. What about a bold prediction for Auburn? Arkansas is going to win one game, by the way. Uh-huh. Oh, I thought you were going to predict them to beat Auburn. And have another fourth-quarter lead. So they will have two fourth-quarter leads, and one of them will be a win. There's bold for One Arkansas. and nine for Arkansas? Okay. Auburn. This is my brand, you know. Um, man, I, miss, I feel like them losing to Kentucky. I have I have Auburn starting zero and two, so let's see how that goes. Whew. So I'm losing to Georgia too. Okay. You got a bold one on Auburn, Borky. Finished second in the West. Record may not be great. I think the West is going to be Alabama and undefeated Alabama and a bunch of crap underneath it. But Auburn will finish second in the West. Hmm. I was trying to think about Auburn's running game. You know, they had that long stretch from 2010 to 2017 where they had a 1,000-yard rusher every year. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around the idea of Sean Shivers rushing for a 1,000 yards. That seems unlikely. Especially in 10 games. Um. So Bo Nix last year had 16 touchdown passes in, what, 13 games? That's got to go up, right? I mean, Seth Williams is so good. I don't even feel great about this, and it's not terribly bold. I'll, I'll go back to that 20 number and say Bo Nix throws 20 touchdown passes this year. I'm not sure I believe that. And I guess that, that the only reason I can make it bold is because I don't think he's going to, so I'll go the other way on that. LSU. Bold I, prediction about LSU. Kind you know, of something like one. Miles Brand. Uh, Miles Brandon makes you forget that Joe Burrow ever played in Baton Rouge. Something along those lines. Oh, that's what the people down there in Baton Rouge are saying, though, man. I've seen so much. Oh, he's just going to follow in Burrow's footsteps. I know they lost the game on Sunday. And, like, he didn't light the world on fire. But what you saw from Joe Burrow in his first ever NFL action, no preseason, his first ever NFL action, you tell me that they've got that on their roster? And I got oceanfront property in Arizona to sell to you. They don't have that guy on roster anymore. Joe Burrow is special. But anyway, um, kind of creative here. LSU will lose two games this year, or they were more than a touchdown favorite. Is the season opener one of them? I'm going to take Mississippi State to cover that all day long if it stays at 17 points for sure. Yeah. I mean, I put them beating uh, Florida, so that might be one thing to look at. Um, I'll give you one. Go ahead. Season opener against Mississippi State's a one-score game. It could happen. Mine was, I said the other day, I, I don't. I, I know they don't have a, a superstar or a, even a proven guy behind him, but I don't believe in Miles Brennan. I don't know that he finishes the season as the starter. 
betting against a guy in Louisiana with a last name Brennan. Seems like... It seems bananas, right? The, the, ah, the, 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 ah, see ah, what you did there. Well, that'd be. I am hungry. That would be. <laughs> oh man, you didn't help things at all. Well, bananas foster, yeah. You know what I'd give for some barbecue shrimp at Mister B's right now? <sighs> Our buddy Robert St. Oh. John did an article on barbecue shrimp today. He's got a new favorite place in New Orleans. I need to check that out. That French bread, that big old bowl of messy, nasty soup. Dip it up. Sop it up. Yes, sir. I say soup. Sauce is what I meant. Uh, All right, let's skip over Mississippi State Ole Miss. We'll come right back to them. Texas A&M. Bold prediction for Texas A&M. They're overrated. Oh, wait. Bold. I'm sorry. Um, They start one and two. I mean, I guess that's not that bold, though. They've had Alabama and Florida. They score 50 in the season opener against Vanderbilt. Borky, you got one for A&M? Jimbo, even though he's got a massive contract after this year, is in a win-or-go-home 2021. This season puts him firmly, squarely on the burning fire hot seat. That would be a forty-four million. Uh, no, it'd be a forty-five million dollar buyout. We'll figure out what oil prices are like by then. But yeah, I just want to point out before we go any further that of of all of, we've been having so much. Hey, you all talk about sports. Talk about sports. We have a guy saying, "Don't talk about sports" on on the text line right now. He's saying we should be talking about the issues surrounding sports. It's incredible. That's got to uh, be. That's got to be a troll. I hope so. I, I'm gonna. I, you know what? Oh no, it's I, not. It's not. Yeah, I have. I have. I have a And M going one two. I have them going six and four. That would be a pretty good year, considering. They will be so disappointed, I'll, but yes, you're right. Yeah. That would be a good year. My bold prediction. I'll give a, a Super Bowl. I'm gonna go really bold. Se- Kellen Mond is second team All SEC quarterback. That's bold. I like that. I think. Yeah, I think. He, even though he's got. Some receiver issues with Jamon Osmond de- opting out, and they'll, they'll figure it out. Mon second team. All right, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Hey, we'll start with the Rebels. Okay. So we each get three. I don't know if I've got all three. All right. Well, let's um, see here. I got, you I, got, start? I got, I got, I got a couple. Sure. Okay. I think, I think the guy who leads Ole Miss in all-purpose yards, which is rushing and receiving combined, not counting passing, is John Rice Plumley. Okay. I think they'll find I, enough ways to get the ball into. I do not agree with that, but okay. Okay. Well, that's why it's bold. There you go. That's fine. Uh, Borky, you got one. Matt Corral throws for twenty-seven hundred yards, so two seventy a game. Good year. No, certainly pretty uh, pedestrian numbers compared to what I'm going to get to see. Yeah, truthfully. But uh, I think, more than think, they're going to open the offense up. And so he's going to throw the ball around a little bit. You had another one, hey, Dad? Ole Miss's best chance for upset wins, and by upset I mean like they're a big underdog. I mean, they could beat State. I think State would be favored today. But uh, are the first and last games of the season – 
they could catch LSU. I just don't know what I'm getting with LSU. At the end of the year like that, they don't have a lot of depth, LSU. I mean, we were saying the other day, they only got like 68 scholarship players. They could be beat up. I don't know. I'm not calling the upset, but I'm calling it in a more interesting game than maybe the rest of the country would give you credit for. I don't know exactly what numbers to put on this, but just kind of based on some of the things that I've heard that have come out of practice in terms of scrimmages and whatnot, I think Jonathan Mingo has a really big year as a wide receiver. And, and I mean, I don't know that that's 1,000 yards receiving. It's very unlikely because that just hasn't happened very much in the history of Ole Miss football, period. Uh, in, in a COVID-era year where you're two, three games short of what you normally get, uh, I'll, I'll go 600 yards receiving for Jonathan Mingo. And that may sound kind of pedestrian, but I think that's a monster step forward from him, for him. Um, and this is also kind of vague. I'm going the oldest defense is better than people think it is going to be. I don't think they're a top 20 national defense in scoring or rushing or passing or whatever, but I don't think that the defense is going to be the disaster that a lot of folks think it's going to be. Now, that would be a huge step up for the past four years. But it was better last year. Well, as I said today on my interview with Ben Garrett, catch that on the Thunder and Lightning podcast, it was better last year, but it still wasn't good. No, I, I agree. I agree. So, third third prediction before I get out of here. Let's see here before we get out of the segment. Uh, Ole Miss wins three games. Is that, man, is that my – that's bold, I guess. Is that bold? I'm, I have I have them. It's under the Vegas yeah. total. I have oh. I have them two and eight, but I'll give them another win. Mm. What do you have Mississippi State going by the way? Four and six. Porky, you got one more for Ole Miss. Yeah, the defense wins them two games. Who? Two games. Okay. Two of those three. Hey, Dad has them only winning three games, so. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming Arkansas. Supertalk.fm. A Supertalk Mississippi media production.